I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Glacé Film Club. We've got another review for you here today. No, we're not interviewing people today. We've had enough of that. We're getting back down to the films and what a film we've got for you. It's an epic, it's a deep one, it's a new one on Netflix. The film we're going for is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. The latest release from Charlie Kaufman. It's a huge film. We've got a lot to say about it, but if you don't know about it, it's starring Jesse Plemons, Jesse, Jesse Buckley, the two Jessies there. I've been doing my research. Um, Charlie Kaufman's also written films such as Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is actually one of my favourites. We'll have to review that another time. But a special treat today as we've gone big. We've not got one guest. We've not got two guests. We've got three guests on the Glass 8 Film Club. Hello, everybody. We've got Matt. We've got Lewis. We've got Alex. How are we all doing today? Yeah, decent. Good. All good. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very excited to dive into this film. So before we begin, I'll give you a little bit of an overview. I'm thinking of ending things. It's based on a novel. Again, I've done some good research today. By Ian Reid that was released in 2016. Um... Well, where do you start with the synopsis of this? I'm going to go and try and go basic because I could really get carried away. But there's a couple. It starts off, they're going on a road trip to visit the boyfriend's parents. They go, it's getting a bit snowy. And it's suggested as they go, you know, there's a few deeper things going on. We hear the thoughts of the girlfriend. They have some very deep conversations. But as they get there, as it's pre-warned, the mother's got a few issues, says that she's ill, but it then puts it out there that maybe she's got some mental health issues. But as their dinner evolves at their house, everything starts to spiral and the film takes a different course. We'll dive into what course it takes later on, but we start to see different things changing. We've got figments of the imagination, which eventually leads us to a road trip back in a blizzard to, I can't even sum up the ending as we'll have to build up to that, but it explores this relationship through a road trip and this dinner at the parents, but into so many more things than that. So I think we should dive straight in. Matty, what did you think of this story? And straight away, what were all these twists and turns saying to you? Oof, where do I begin? I, I first have to say it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it, but I had to like watch it and then tell myself not to think about it for two hours just because I was so blissfully overwhelmed by it is how I'll... I, you just had to really let yourself get into it and be swept along with it. If you sat there questioning what's happening the whole time, you'll have no time just to actually enjoy what's happening in this sensory development throughout it. Um, for me, uh, the use of sound in it was absolutely... It used full poetic license with that. And it was really driven home, I think, in like the blizzard scenes when they're in the car, the windscreen wipe is going, and that's just basically like keeping the tempo of the scene. And if you, it does speed up and slow down very intermittently at times. I think that really helps to drive home like the monotony of what it must be like to suffer with mental illness, that you can't get away from it. It's always there. It's ticking away at you. Um, so yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, as the film fully develops, it takes all these takes on all these different nuances and twists and turns and these characters develop in ways that 
as a standard narrative, you would if you were to watch any other film, you'd be questioning why that's happening, but you're kind of brought into this world to accept it for what it is and not question it. And that's what then allows you to enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, big. I know what you mean exactly when you said after you finished watching it, you needed a few hours to kind of decompress. I mean, I'm always... Uh, in the danger when I'm watching a film, especially at home, of just pausing it when I need to have a think about it. But I thought, no, on this occasion, I'm going to think myself mad and only get through half an hour of it because there was so much to take in. Lewis, what was your initial reaction when you finished watching it that's been thrown at you? What was the whole story saying to you? Well, I, I thought that, like, above anything else, it was the... You can watch five minutes of it and you can tell it was a Charlie Kaufman film. That's what I got from it. It was like quintessential Kaufman. Um, you know, I, I've I've made a few notes on it after, like after about half an hour of letting it, you know, seep in. And I was trying to come up with what genre it was, and I was like, well, it isn't a genre. It's sort of it's just Kaufman because Kaufman's films, the one that he writes and directs, it's like they have a mixture of everything in this one. You know, drama a bit of horror and thriller aspects in there, and the musical all of a sudden, but all like sewn together with like a, a bit of surrealism as well, which is, which is you know, typical Kaufman. So it was that really, it was what came to me as soon as it finished was just, you know, a barrage of like, that's in all of his other films and that's in all of his other films and that is and that is, you know. So I was just sort of like inundated with all this stuff, like, well, this guy's truly an auteur in what he does, obviously, because, it just jumps out at you. If you've seen any of his other work, it's instantly recognisable. And that's saying something, considering I don't think he has a, a distinct visual style, but it's it's like, like you're talking about, it's the narrative. It's the way the narrative is sewn together and what he chooses to show you and how he chooses to portray that narrative that's so just Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah, and not even about saying about his previous films. And I will hold my hands up and say I have not watched many, but um, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is one of my favourites. And the comparisons I felt like that was that they're both about memory and there's so much played with there. And I feel even though they're totally different in what they're exploring, there's still that kind of delve into memory and that kind of then dictates the style and the story and the way that it can jump about as memory does. And what I love about the kind of expression of that through his films is that you're not following this kind of path to the end point of the plot. It's going everywhere and it doesn't really make sense. And even at the end, you're like, what kind of happened there? But as you start to piece it together, like a memory, it just starts to kind of form kind of some semblance in your mind. And I feel what a skill that is that he has to be able to do that, where at the end, as we've all said already, that we didn't really know what to think of it, but then it kind of came together as we thought about it afterwards. Alex, what was your kind of initial reaction after you, you saw that? Yeah, well, it's it's funny that you mention Eternal Sunshine because I I thought it, it was like, for the, for the feeling that it gave me when watching it, it was just completely different to Eternal Sunshine, but there was a shot that I noticed right towards the end of the film, which was a shot from above of just a load of ice and a car on its own, and it's like pretty much a replica of a shot from Eternal Sunshine. Um, of the two of them lying there on the ice, but it's so different because of the context, and one of them is kind of so warm, and you love it, and the other one from this film is just a stark, bleak contrast to it, and it just feels really empty, like you are looking at the inside of someone's head, and 
Yeah, it was one where you just, I just had to step back and think about it for a while and yeah, you were just trying not to overanalyze it while you were watching it because you couldn't keep up with what was happening. But um, I will say that it made me feel quite claustrophobic, like the, the ratio of the film did a really good job of putting you inside someone's head. Um, which I thought was a really good tool because it literally did make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, which is all credit to the film, to be fair. Yeah, I know what you mean about the claustrophobia. I feel like especially when they were at the parents' house, the whole kind of entirety of that scene, like it was very uncomfortable to watch at, at parts, and that wasn't just the dialogue and the conversation. It was just the way, um, especially the uh, female character who gets given loads of different names in it, but we'll go with Lucy. Um, her, her movement through the different rooms, you feel the tension of it. And when I was reading a little bit about it, it was saying um, the novel itself was categorised as horror fiction. I was like, I never really went into it thinking of any kind of horror elements, but there were definitely aspects of it where you kind of felt that tension and unease. And that kind of played into, like you said, the claustrophobia and the uncomfortable mindset. So I said the character there, so it's basically very character focused just on these four people, the couple and then the mother and father, but then dancing between their thoughts and memories. Matty, what did you think with the characters? Because I feel like the two, the couple are very distinct, Jake and Lucy in their focus in the car journey, especially like after watching that car journey, I needed just a minute to kind of, you know, sign off because some of the like dense literature they were discussing, especially that moment where she recites that poem, it's like that in itself is a, just a little clip. It's wow. But what did you think about that? Because for me, I think it was very driven by the characters and the dialogue, but how did they kind of interact and communicate to you? Yeah, I, I got to like really love the awkwardness of it and the tension between what they were, the silences where the gold was for me. It wasn't what they were saying. It was, it was the, it was the looks between the characters in between and the little reactions and I, I, there was like a two second pause where there shouldn't be a pause and then suddenly Lucy's being called a different name. And it's like, okay, what's happened there? Why are they now switching? And you know, it's a duck and dive, just try and figure out what's going on. Um, but I really, really love the interaction between Lucy and the father when she's walking around the house and she ends up in um, Jack's um, childhood bedroom. And like, the father like, keeps repeating himself and it goes down this really dark, sinister pathway. He's talking about having sex in the bed and stuff and going getting you know, like whatever mother's night is. And it's really sinister and I didn't know where that was going to go, but I loved it at the same time. And part of me wanted it to be resolved nicely, but then part of me was really hoping it was even going to go even darker and some really twisted stuff was going to happen just so I could see where they can push these characters to. Um, but yeah, I thought the acting was absolutely sublime by both the mother and the father. Um, wonderful, wonderful, absolutely loved them all. What threw me off a little bit at first was that the the dad was English, and I know it's just something very like kind of subtle, but it felt like you know going on this kind of quintessentially American like drive in the snow down to a farm. It really just threw it out a little bit, and I don't know whether that's got any was purposeful or anything. But for me, it just added to that kind of confusion. It was like this didn't seem to fit there. There was no explanation why he was English, and there was no reference point to it. But it just made everything feel a bit unclear and hazy as the whole kind of film was. Lewis, what was your kind of take on the characters and how they were developed? I, I thought that, I mean, 
um, Lucy, we're calling it. Yeah, um, I thought that uh, Jesse Buckley played it was really good because with a film like this, with it being so disorientating, um, as you said, with with no explanation of the um, the the fact that played by the uh, played by David Thewlis, um he's English and it's not even explained why it's it's fine. And then there's a scene where he has grey hair, and then they sat down at the dinner table, and then he's got black hair. And I turned. Do you yeah. He's changed. He's changed his hair, but obviously that comes apparent that that's yeah. a thing that is happening. Yeah. I thought with that much disorientating stuff in the film, it's easy to get detached from it. But I thought, I thought her character was really good. Um, it was a really good device of bringing you into it emotionally. You know, because all the other characters are quite strange and detached, and even Jake, you're like, what's up with this guy? You know, the the mentalities. Um, seem to change scene to scene not like as well as like the costume sometimes i thought she was a nice through line where you could you know um essentially she was us she was the audience yeah. sort of going through it um and the way she played that character I thought was great i thought you know i thought she she sort of gave a nice empathy to it um in a role that could easily have been you know just far too melancholy and sad you know, whereas she had a bit, added a bit of sort of vibrance to it, and a bit of hope to it, and a bit of you know, a bit of humour to it as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, the characters in general, it, it was it was sort of um, they were sort of I don't know, a bit caricature-y in in like a purposeful way, you know. But like a different caricature each time, you know, you see them, um, whether it's you know. Um, as you said, David Thewlis is sort of the old man who's obviously maybe got Alzheimer's or something, and then she walks downstairs, and then the the mother played by Tony Collette, she's sort of like a 50s, you know, um, domestic sort of mum with like a washing and stuff like that. You know, it's really, really interesting how, how all the characters sort of like see, and she, that's, that brings me back to how she seemed to be the through line for all of it, because... Uh, there's little subtleties in her costume that change, but she was sort of, you know, she was who she was throughout the whole of the film. Yeah, and I think it was interesting what you said there about her being the kind of, the, the one you could connect with when the others are kind of being a bit bizarre around her. And this is why I really like the character development, because at the beginning, she's kind of seen as the one who's a bit quirky. She's kind of like a bit subculture, you know, these poems and the way she looks. But then as it develops, then you see the kind of madness is unfolding around her and she is the one that you can connect with. And yeah, I definitely felt that connection through it as the kind of bizarre nature of it unfolds. Alex, what was your take on this? Well, um, yeah, I just want to say, first of all, Jessie Booker seems to always be in films that kind of make me unsettled because the only other thing I've seen her in is that beast and I really... Mm. I didn't, I'm not saying it's not a good film or anything, or I didn't like it or anything, I just didn't feel nice watching it, <laughs> and, yeah, which is like, enough, again, compliment to the film, because that's what it was going for. But the the interactions with the characters stood out to me. Every scene, whether it's that you can kind of break the film down into driving there, having dinner, driving back kind of thing, that's the three men, and they went on for so long that it felt like you were in someone's head trying to work out a perfect conversation or a perfect scenario. I said to Lou before, uh, a lot of the stuff that they say, especially at the dinner table, it's kind of retreading of the same 
Um, mm. Same point, same conversations, and it's like when you're about to have an argument with someone and you're thinking it through in your head, going, oh, this would be well good if I said this. Oh, no, I'll say this. And, you know, you're just planning it so everything goes perfectly. That's what it felt like. It felt like you were watching kind of the same conversations over and over but someone was trying to play them out so they came across perfectly that's what it felt like to me yeah no that makes sense and I, I like what you said there about kind of playing in the uh, argument over in your head because that's what it kind of felt like everything felt a bit disjointed and uh, a bit messy but it does kind of come together and kind of make sense like like a thought would and that definitely comes through as the characters really do confuse you through those changes like you said and with the costumes and the and uh, their ages as well, but um, yeah, I thought the character development was really strong and was played very well. Let's move on to the visuals, the filmmaking behind this, Matty. This is we always say every time, and this this is where you've got to earn your crust for the Glacé Film Club. We've got a show that we know about how to make a film. Um, it definitely had a distinct style to it. What was your interpretation of what they were putting across? Yeah, I, I, there's so many different nuances to it, but for me, I think the cinematography really helped to play with time. For me, like when you start watching these people in the car, and like they're only using like four shots, just repeating. And I love the fact that we never see the outside of the car. It's never like in like any other like kind of like modern cinem cinematography. We showed a car scene every seventh or eighth shot would be like from an overpass watching this car drive along. But that we, we don't, once they're actually talking, like we never see you, it, it's like the car is the brain, it's in the mind, and like you just, that's where it all is, that's where the action is, that's where we need to be delving into. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside, it's just this blizzard going on anyway, and the blizzard just represents the nonsense and monotonous of life that's just happening around you. But when you're going through all these issues that you can't focus on anything, outside because you're too busy focusing on what's happening inside so yeah i absolutely love that um also we have to mention the four by three aspect ratio of it which i think is very nicely done it really helps to focus the viewer on okay well what's in frame is what you need to be concentrating on here it's about the characters it's about the interactions it's about what they're saying and what they're not saying and why they're saying that now there was no need for any um ridiculously elaborate sets because it's about the characters and yeah the the farmhouse and the school are really nice sets and they each be, allow us to delve into different worlds of the psyche especially when they go down into the basement how it's like like i love the idea that like the claw marks on the door and it's this place that he never wants anyone to go because that's the deepest darkest place and uh, when because that's where his reality is, where he's like the washing machine and we find the janitor uniforms. He doesn't want to accept reality for what it is. And then he goes into the back room and we see the paintings and that he was previously scrolling through on the phone. And so that's for me when it really started to drive home, like, okay, some weird shit's going on here. Like those paintings were on the, on the phone before. Um, so yeah, I think all that coupled together just created a masterpiece of cinematography. Yeah. And just you describing it all there just is just showing to myself how I'm still struggling to unpack it all. There's so many different things going on. But what you said about in the car there, I really like the shots where it was just kind of like through a window, just over the shoulder, just kind of like looking as if someone was like peering in, but for no real practical use. But it was just that 
it added to that unsettling, like that kind of uncomfortableness, like Alex was saying, where it was kind of like, oh, what's that? Like, what's the feel of it? And it was nothing particular, but it just added in building it up. So yeah, absolutely agree with what you're saying there. Good stuff. Lewis, what do you think of the uh, filmmaking, the cinematography behind it? I thought like, I thought the cinematography was, was great. It had like a weird sort of haze to it at times, um, which just added to that claustrophobia. I think we can all you know agree that that that's sort of with the blizzard and everything you you've sort of very trapped. I thought that the cinematography was a really good device of sort of misleading you to who was the central character. So cause, yeah. so, I mean, if you if you know anything about the book, it seems to be a bit more clear that the central character in the book is the janitor character and it's you know it's a bit clearer what's going on in this i think it's purposefully doesn't give you any answers but the the filmmaking itself leads you to believe that jesse buckley's character is the main character we're positioned with her there's beautiful bits of cinematography where she where there's a there's a specific part where they're at the dinner table and there um um there's a shot from the hallway and the camera just slowly pans, yeah. and a, yeah. a wall comes halfway over, and you know we're positioned with her, and that that's just simple filmmaking one on to Say this is who you're focusing on. This yeah. person is feels alone, and this is who the story is. And so many shots like that of symmetrical ones of her in the center of frame, yeah. and everything, you know I just thought that was a really lovely way of telling you, or misleading you, saying this is this is who this story is about. This is. Uh, whose story it is? I thought the thought the sound was really well used because it might have been me going mad through the film, oh, but yeah, I thought yeah, there was certain sound bites were reused. You know, people would say something and they wouldn't. It it didn't sound like they said it again. You know, on camera, it sounded like they reused that first take of them saying that. You know, like they'd reuse like people mm, saying yeah. lines and stuff, which I thought was like just again disorientating I thought that um, and I just want to point out as well I, the, the de-aging no sorry the aging makeup on the characters was excellent yeah. it was really great yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially the scene with David Thewlis in Jake's bedroom I thought that was excellent I was you know sort of blown away by that aspect so I, that has to be mentioned if we're talking about the filmmaking but the only thing I will say is Kaufman with the films that he's directed you know, sometimes it's if he's written it and he has a director, there's someone there to mediate his work. When his work isn't mediated, it seems to me a little bit like, you know, it's the script is his thing, so he, he, he wants to represent it, you know, as best he can and as wholly as he can. And I think maybe that is that works to his detriment sometimes because the films of his that he's directed like this and Synecdoche, New York, are so intense and dense which isn't a bad thing, it's just sort of obviously when he's the writer and the director, he chooses, okay, this is going in and I want to portray this in a certain way. And just as someone who just loves film as a visual medium, those scenes in the car with him talking, that 100% they're probably done on purpose, just shot reverse shot like that. That's yeah. done on purpose. I just wish there was something more visual going on for that 20 minutes yeah. of them just, you know, shot reverse shot. But obviously it's done for a reason, oh, yeah. and that's fine, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, absolutely. And, there's, and they do throw a lot of kind of distractions in there, throwing it about, I know what you mean. Um, it just reminded me then of something that I was well chuffed with myself as I was watching the film, was when... 
they were in the house at the parents, um, as I thought, I was like, this feels like watching a play the way that it's kind of like directed. And I was chuffed because later on there were loads of uh, like theatrical references and I was like, okay, yeah, you're on something here. But just the way that when the characters came in and out, but it kind of flowed like you're at the theatre, I was like, that's really fascinating. And, and what it did was just give that feel of that theatrical feel. And I'm not sure exactly what the impact was on me, but there was there is a certain kind of difference between seeing a film where it's focused and you know where the shots are taking to being at a theatre where people are, are diving in and out. And it, it captured that really well. And I thought that was fascinating. Uh, Alex, what, what was your take on it? Well, I actually, contrasting what Lou said, I really loved how it was really simple. The cinematography was really simple because it, it emphasised the dialogue and the characters. I really love when the cinematography of a film and the shots just have a chance to breathe. Um, and with the subject and the kind of aura of the film and the aura that it was putting out and the feeling that you get from watching it, it could have easily gone into a kind of like a kind of get out situation where the editing's really trippy or something like that or the end of 2001 where you just don't really understand what you're watching. It's just so, you're getting hallucinated by it. But I thought it, it was really good how it kept everything quite simple. And it just put the emphasis on the dialogue and the characters, and you read into that as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, on balance, um, with that, what you were saying with the simplicity there is, I don't necessarily have a judgment on it using this film, but I always say to Matty, my dream film is just where it's like four people in one room all the way through it, like because I just love the conversation. Breakfast Club's a prime example of just them sat there having a chat, and like, I love that because it's and that's why the car journey was so interesting because it was going through all these different emotions and thoughts and references just within this kind of same space which I thought was quite fascinating. And that type of car journey as well, where they're driving to, just the situation where they're driving to meet a parent for the first time, it can be one of those situations where there are a lot of thoughts and feelings running through someone's head. So it would be great to be inside that car at that time. And just cars in general, when there's a couple inside of a car, it just the, the thought of, yeah, they're kind of saying whatever they want to each other because they're in their own little space. It reminded me of, there's one of my favourite scenes of any movie is at the start of Link Letters Before Midnight. There's like a half an hour, 25 minute, just uncut, straight shot of Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpley saying the dialogue and going out the scene and there's no cuts in it. And I just really loved it because it was just, it's so raw. And it's like, it's like in the way that Kubrick liked the, um, do have scenes in bathrooms because that's where people are at the most like uh, vulnerable and who they really are. I find that with car scenes because it, you, you're not at the destination yet so you don't have to put the face on or put the act on. You're kind of gearing up for it and uh, you really got that feeling. Yeah, that's interesting. And because it's a weird kind of social scenario that couple in the car you don't really think there's anything more than oh this in a car traveling but of course yeah there's the anxiety of going meeting the parents but then the expression the interaction between the two and especially when he says they're going to be going out a few weeks all oh, that was at play yeah fascinating let's move Speaking on of um, anxiety just what you were saying then for me i always say that the car journeys themselves quite anxiety um invoking for myself but for me i don't know why it hit me so much it's made me feel really anxious when they're all sat around and no one was eating 
and they always, all this food was in front of them and no, not one person took a bite. And for the life of me, I was just like, someone eat something. Like, just, just break the tension a little bit. And the fact that no one even took a little nibble, like, oh, it just, just threw me completely. Yeah, I don't know what it was. It probably the way they built it up and going on the farm and looking at the animals. But the sight of that food made me feel sick. Like, there was, like, a perfectly nice meal put out there and, like, it repulsed me. And that was just kind of how they'd built it up, obviously. Moving on to themes, wider themes, always my favourite bit to discuss. Obviously, this is covering a lot of things. We talked earlier on about memory, the degeneration of memory. It goes into mental illness, touching upon Alzheimer's, the uh, relationships and how these become hazy as you get older. But we've not really looked into that character of the caretaker too much. He was obviously central to it. And as Lewis said, it's more central in the novel, but to hear in the film kind of wraps it up at the end and starts to bring things together. What did you think, Matty? I know there's a lot to kind of unpack here, but what did you think were the kind of central themes coming out of it? What did it speak? What did it give to you? And what do you think was the meaning of that uh, caretaker character? For me, um, at the end, I think the caretaker character really helped to embody this idea of like delusions of grandeur, and like, especially when we get this like what is essentially a quintessential ode to a beautiful mind at the end with a scene where he's accepting the Nobel Prize. For me, it's just that idea of um, it said earlier on how he won this pen for not being the best, but for trying the hardest. And it was always just like disappointed with himself how he was never able to fulfill his own ambitions. And I think the fact he still works at the school really helps to drive that home. Like he's still there, he still wants to better himself. Um, so for me, and then the idea of like half memory, how you want, how some things are, are remembered better because you want them to be better, not because of the way they actually happened. Um, and that's why I think the, when we get the scenes, as I mentioned earlier, in like um, the bedroom where um, the Jack character isn't there, who like, I think that's where we get to really get a bit more of an insight into the confrontational mindset of what he's got going on in his, in his head. And I think as I think when the scenes where Jack is there, I feel like he's trying to like raid everyone back in, but when he's not there, everyone's allowed to let loose on each other that bit more. Um, so yeah, for me, one of my favourites, I think second favourite scene it would have to be that scene at the end, which I just mentioned, um, uh, the Ode to a Beautiful Mind, which sounds like a poem now I say that, um, say that title itself, but, but yeah, fantastic. Cool. I mean, I'm still hazy of everything and all the meanings. I mean, like I said, it's still throwing it together, but what did you take, Lewis, as the kind of main themes and how did it kind of wrap up for you? Well, I'm, I'm similar to you in that it's all very hazy. And a lot of the time, I just like leaving it like that in my head, just going, it's okay that I don't know, I'm, I'm fine with that. But with this, I mean, I thought regret was a key one. Just, And I've only just thought of that through what you were saying, Al, about how, you know, these scenes seem like retreads of the same thing, trying to get, you know, trying to get um, the perfect sort of scenario or what have you, you know, uh, what would be the perfect scenario of you uh, your girlfriend coming to see your parents when they're young when they're old all this stuff you know um and i just i i, I don't know whether it's a you know a, a specific locked on theme but what i i found was that um charlie cotton's films are often about characters who are sort of uh, trapped within themselves in a way and uh, whether that be through writer's block and adaptation or a breakup in 
eternal sunshine or in anomalies so just not be able to not being able to have a relationship with anybody and literally inside someone's head yeah. like in being John Malkovich yeah, yeah. literally inside someone's head in being John Malkovich and the film is about it, it depicts those struggles whereas this film seemed like the personification of that struggle <clears throat> this, this film felt like um, if, if that was a depiction of them going through the struggle this was the the struggle inside them and, and sort of the um, what's going on like in those trapped souls you know what is uh, I don't know if I ex- explain that right but like it was just sort of the personification of all that struggle <coughs> and all that sort of anxiety uh, that he seems to key in to in yeah. his other films um, yeah <laughs> if that makes sense yeah, yeah no I get that as that idea and is kind of good comparison that you've seen with the other films there have kind of been trapped within the mind but rerunning those different scenarios and I never I hadn't really looked at it that way I've been trying to kind of find of like what's that representative in that sense but I like that idea of what you're saying it was the right oh would this scenario be better then would it be better then there's no perfect time and that's what we're constantly thinking about rather than just experiencing that moment as they discuss through their kind of references with the poems and things like that. And and the poems and stuff, and that's a, you know, I mean, with all of these films, you have sort of psychological, metaphorical, uh, philosophical things, but all of them also seem to have a preoccupation with arts and the art forms, whether it be writing or um, an actor, you know, or painting. painting. Uh, poems in this one, poetry. Uh, there's even there's that scene where they do a review of uh, of uh, Cassavetti's um, yeah. Yeah, 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 Woman Under the Influence. Like a few minutes of them just reviewing that film, like <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, I thought I thought it was it, it was all the themes that Kaufman usually you know it was it was the greatest hits. It felt like yeah. Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Do you want to, Alex, want to wrap us up on, uh, on on that, the wider themes? Well, yeah, just regret and self-deprecation, really, just being inside someone's mind who's lonely and doesn't think they're good enough, really. Every, apart from the first scene of the film, it's like you're in a barren wasteland because the places that they go, whether it be the kind of ice cream place or the school or the house, there's nothing around them. You, you're just driving through the yeah. night and snow until you get to that one building. So it's it's literally like someone's mind churning out these thoughts. But uh, the the themes of depression and anxiety and yeah, not feeling good enough, it was like the scenarios kept changing when it was at the parents' house because someone was trying to recreate a scenario where they were where they felt wanted and mm. like as if, as if the janitor was the, the male character and he kept just trying to make this girl want to stay there with him so every time she said something like oh I've got to get going or we've got to get back tonight that's kind of when the age of the parents changed the situation what happened there changed it was like the scenario was always changing for this person to just ultimately feel wanted but their own brain kept telling them you're not wanted so this is inevitably what's going to happen because even though it's all taking course in one person's head for some reason the still ideal scenario couldn't ever happen so it was it was yeah just self-deprecation really yeah absolutely and i just find it so fascinating how like 
such confusing narrative at first, but so clever in the way that it was just using all those different interactions to play past memories, thoughts, things that you misremembered. And like you said, the self-deprecation, it all came together beautifully at the end. So let's wrap this up. I know we all have it in us to chat about this for the length of the film itself, but let's bring it to a bit of a conclusion. We've discussed a lot of things there, characters, actors, visuals, but let's just go one by one on a bit of a highlight from the film, whether it be a scene or a general theme of it, and then your rating out of 10. Matty, let's have it. Yes, crack on. Um, so for me, a highlight is a scene which we haven't touched on. It's the dance scene at the end, where it's, it's really like trying to, it really ties up the whole narrative within one physical theatre piece. And then it's just like, just the summarisation at the end when they're about to kiss and the janitor runs in and kills the, the male lead, just like showing that self-destructive nature. And as we were saying, like you've written those scenarios again and again, I want to be happy, but then ended up just being the one who's stopping yourself, even allowing yourself to be happy. Um, so for me, that was a great bit of um, visual at the end there. But yeah, all around, fantastic film. I think I'll rewatch it again a couple more times to really drive it home to myself and really screw with my mind a little bit, a bit more now. But I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you very much, Lewis. What do you think? Uh, well, that I mean, the point that Matt said was great. I love that as well. It changed into a musical. I love any bits of a film that really sort of stuff like that where it where it just switches on a dime mm. to something musical that's that's cinema that's what that magical yeah. element is film that's what it can do um so i love that bit i i really love the the part where the janitor's watching a film the fake film that was directed yeah. by robert yeah. zemeckis i thought it was really funny and great yeah. i didn't expect that at all i thought it was really good and yeah it was just for me what i got from it was was it was it was just nice to see um, as I mentioned when, when in my first point, um, this has sort of solidified Charlie Kaufman as an auteur. Whether you mm. like his films or not, these are his films, and it's it, the genre is a Charlie Kaufman film, and that's what I came out of it really loving. I thought, okay, that's great to see. So when obviously you could say, you know, it being back about the distribution, it being backed by Netflix, he's got so much more freedom to do what he wants mm. to do as well. Mm. But yeah. Uh, I'm. I mean, I, I really find it really hard giving films uh, <laughs> ratings out of ten. I, I pro I'll go for a seven just so it's safe because there are films. There are, there are things about the 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 film that I appreciate more than I like. Yeah. But I did. Over, I did. You know, overall enjoy. It's not my favourite Kaufman film, but definitely worth a watch if you've liked his previous films. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, I thought it was solid. Yeah. Fantastic. Alex, you're going to bring us home on this one. Yeah, I just, I really liked how it was just like a real accumulation of ideas just throughout the film. You can have so many different interpretations about it, and that's what film should be. There's no right or wrong in film. You, your favourite film might be a film that someone else hates, you might hate someone else's favourite film, and that's what's great about it. And this film, it's going to divide people, but like, there's, it wasn't. It wasn't made to know what, what it was actually about. It was made for interpretation. Uh, and I really loved, I'm not too sure why, I just really loved the scene where Lucy hugs the janitor. I just thought that was the warmest scene in the film. Um, and yeah, that's, 
that was my favourite part of it. I like at the minute, I still can't exactly tell you why I really liked it, but that that is, even though it was 15 minutes away from the end of the film, that's when it really warmed to me. Yeah. Um, I also <laughs> I also never know how to rate films, um, but I'd, I'd probably say an eight for me. Fantastic, thank you very much. Well, I'll quickly give you my views. I really liked um, the scene where they sat down at the table. I know I mentioned that before, but especially when they were asking Lucy about uh, how they met. And then she just suddenly goes from being dead shy to what you can only describe as absolutely pissing herself in a conversation, which again, I think for me, just that little microcosm summed up how much the film jumped about and threw emotions in, which didn't, not only that you didn't expect, but you didn't feel right feeling at that time. Like it felt like it was getting tense, but yet then suddenly they're all laughing like really intensely, which kind of added to that creepiness and eeriness. Um, but overall, yeah, it was very uncomfortable watching parts, very tricky and dense, but I do like that. Maybe one in 10 films, I like being like that because you need a bit of respite afterwards. But like I said, it's something that kind of came together as you went and then afterwards pieced itself together, which is kind of the theme it was exploring. So for that, it does kind of earn itself a bit of extra kudos for achieving it. I'm going to go for eight out of 10 because I did think it was fantastic and was really well put together and worked brilliantly but it was just a very tough watch and not something that I'd be like running to go and watch on a, a Sunday afternoon, but did enjoy the experience and would um, definitely recommend it to others. So that brings it to the end. Thank you guys for going through that. I think we've got into all the deep, dark depths of the film, done it some justice and hopefully other people um, will enjoy that. I want to go and check it out themselves. So I'll... Uh, Keep it short to end with. Thank you for joining the Glass A uh, Film Club review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We'll be back very soon. And thank you guys, Lewis and Alex, for making your debut on. We would love to have a chat with you again about plenty more films because they're not running out of films, so we won't run out of podcasts and things to talk about. But, um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody. And uh, tune in again for some more film reviews. <laughs>